And on today's episode, I invite my good friend Aiden to come on the show, talking a little bit about his career, and we just spin the yarn, um, shoot the breeze, and talk a lot about the things that are on mind and where we'd like to be uh, in the future. Hope you enjoy the episode. Stay tuned. Alrighty. Well, Ada, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for your time. Not a problem, not a problem. How's it going? Yeah, can't complain. Can't complain or won't complain. Exactly. No one will listen if you do, so it doesn't really matter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, um, I guess, as I was saying before we started the the recording, um, appreciate your time and just wanted to take this opportunity to, I guess, well, first of all, accept the Gary V challenge. Hey Gaza, just um, just so you know, we're, we're doing it. We're trying. We're trying to. We're working on it, and um, also for this opportunity to. Thanks for this opportunity to be able to hone my craft and let me use your gear. That's uh, yeah, no worries. So uh, this will be the most professionally sounding podcast to date. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, so Aiden, I guess you know, um, just to let the listeners know uh, where we come from. Um, you know, I've known you for a long time. Went to high school together. Yep. Um, we've reconvened, I guess, a part of once again crossed many years yeah, later. Star crossed. Star crossed, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's as if like the universe willed it or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, Aiden, I mean, tell the tell cyberspace a little bit about, um, I guess, your career and what you've been up to, what you're currently doing, and I guess your quote unquote origin story. Oh, okay, so where do we start? How far back do we go? Up to you, brother. Up to you. Okay, so as far as where I come from, what I do, I guess I had a somewhat of an unconventional upbringing when it comes to being faced with careers and things like that, in the sense that not a single person in my immediate family was employed. Not, I'm not talking that anyone was a bum, I'm talking that every single one like my dad, my stepdad, my mum, my grandparents, my dad's parents, uh, all owned companies. Nice. So wow. I, it was kind of, yeah, it, it was kind of one of those situations where, yeah, I, I don't think that's exactly that common. So I grew up my entire life around that. Right. Um, so. So were you sort of like, when you grew up, were you like, Oh, this is normal. Everybody just owns a company. Yeah, right? yeah. It, it, it didn't really seem any different to me. Any, I don't know. It, it was just kind of that was life. That was how things were. Like this building that we're in now, we've had we've been in here. Oh, just just so the audience knows, where are we? Oh, we're in uh, the what do you call? It? We've got a funeral home in Pamir and. What's it yeah, called? Lagoon View Funeral Services in Pamir. Shout out to Lagoon Services. So yeah, like this here, my grandparents started in the late 80s and I was born in 88. Mm. So they've had this as long as they've had me, you know. Um, I've been around it my entire life and things like that. So yeah, it, it's kind of done that. And then um, my stepdad, he... When him and my mum met, he had secondhand shops, he had a whole heap of stuff and property and whatnot all through Glen Innes. Um, so I grew up 
you know, going into the store all the time and working in the shop and things like that as a little kid. And then uh, he retired. And then when my little, not long after my little brother was born, um, he started working again and started a, a little company. Well, it was just starting selling stuff at the markets and whatnot. So, you know, I did that all through my childhood from probably five, shucks, I would have been eight or nine when that started. Um, you know, I got to the point that you know, I, was, I was that kid who had a candy store in their bag and used to make a couple of hundred bucks a day at school and almost got suspended a couple of times for doing it and By whatnot. Who? Principles and things like that. For, really? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I don't actually know what rules it was against, but yeah, I almost got suspended a couple of times for. Cute. Yeah, yeah. I it, probably for other reasons stacked onto that, but yeah, no, I was I was only bringing one book to school, but bringing like two, three hundred bucks worth of chocolates and nerds and things like that, buying it from dad and then hustling it off at school and. That was my pocket money. So you were that kid, eh? Just yeah. Extra sugar highs. Exactly, exactly. Cool, cool. Um, and then, yeah, kind of kept on going on that. And so I've always been around business, but it was always kind of one of those things of, I never saw it as a career and I never saw it as, I don't know, I just saw it as something that people did. I, I, I didn't... I don't know, it just never made sense to me. It was just like, oh, it was just a natural thing. It never registered that that wasn't the norm? Yeah, yeah, never registered that it wasn't the norm or that, uh, how, how would you explain it? I never wanted a career in business. Really? Yeah. Man, you might have you might have said this to me, but yeah. it's coming as a bit of shock. Okay, but yeah, 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 yeah. Why, is, why is that, do you I think? I don't know. I, like, I went to university as a software developer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Where was that at? BYU Hawaii. Shout so, out to BYU. Yeah. So I did that. So left school 17. Oh, graduated. Sorry. Graduated school at 17. Was over in Hawaii a week later. Um, started university. I was a... Was it freshman, sophomore, junior? I was in junior in college by 18. Um... Yeah, and yeah, doing software engineering, um, computer sciences and whatnot. And then went off to my mission and realized on my mission that I wanted to do something with people and wanted to help people. Okay, so the, the thought of going back to the comp side, the computer software stuff, it, yep. it quickly dissolved? Yep, it, it was because at the time now, remember with our age, so what, we're 32. At, when I was at BYU, the latest phone then was the Razer. You remember the flip phone and stuff like that. So the concept of iPhone, I don't think smart, iPhones weren't a thing yet. No, nah, 07 like, was the first gen. Yeah, like, so we were, we were serving. Yeah, we were serving when that happened. Um, which, means, which means we never saw them. We never knew. They never impacted us whatsoever. Well, I remember seeing people with it. And one yeah. of the apps, the only app I remember somebody playing on the first iPhone was a button that made the fart sound that's the only <laughs> thing only thing that registered um and i at the time on my mission was in waterloo um oh, home okay. of the of the blueberry yeah yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. rim 
um, the research in motion, the, yeah. the Canadian company who invented the blueberry, that was like the the head flagship, the gold standard of quote phones, yeah, smartphones or whatever. That's true. That was the first time a phone was kind of more than calling. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so the idea, this whole revolution of smartphone was really completely. Yeah. So, anyway, for me, okay, so my, my thing was I wanted to go into game development. Okay, at the time when at you were studying. That's right. why I wanted to go into software engineering, okay. was for game developing. And there wasn't, outside of kind of, I guess, uh, what do you call it, like commercial, how commercial, like database engineering, stuff like that, gaming was the only real way that you got into software engineering. Right. There wasn't much else that was that popular that I knew about. So by the time I got home, it was like, oh, how can programming even help anyone? Right, right. It hadn't gained its... Yeah. There wasn't as much clout no. for it back then. No. There wasn't these billionaire unicorn stories. Yeah. Um, Zucks Dude. was still, you know... So I got Facebook yeah. when you had to have a American University email address to sign up. Um, so That's... Zucks was still in his... In his yeah. pr- Early origin yep. stories. I was yep. a, I was in university with YouTube starting. Man, that's yeah. scary hard to think about. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So okay. It, that's the world that I was thinking of, and kind of oh, programming. Okay, yeah, this is a couple of cool things, but I can't really help, and I really feel like I don't want to be stuck behind a desk. I want to help people. Um, You're a bit, 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 a bit closer to the action. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And so, so I, cool. got, I got home off my mission. That was my thought. Is like, okay, I'm not going to go back to Hawaii. I'm not going to finish my degree because, yeah, it, it, I don't think it will lead me down the path that I want to go down. Yeah. So what do you do next? Medicine. Medicine. Okay. I thought, Talk okay, who helps people? Doctors help people. I can be a doctor. Um, that didn't last very long. Um, I did that and dad, cause I, I was, um, I was wanting to specialize in surgery and things like that. Um, dad said, well, Hey, look, since you're going to specialize in surgery, you may as well come into the mortuary with me and do an autopsy. And what happened then? Um, I withdrew from school that week. I tried it, realized Hell no. So, okay, what I was doing the autopsy with dad and I vividly remember like holding a guy's breastplate in my hand, his entire breastplate. And I was doing that and I was just like, you know what? No, (laughs) this is anything to do with this whatsoever is not going to be my life. You know, I'm not going to spend the next 10 to 12 years studying and working 80 hours a week and all that sort of stuff so that this is my life. Sure. Yeah. So I was like, nah. Clear as day, eh? Just just straight, sweet. Good at it, all that sort of stuff, but nah. That that moment there was my no. I, I cannot do this for the rest of my life. This is not something that I love enough to be able to pursue. For sure, for sure. So I was like, okay, cool, did that, um, withdrew. And then at the, that time, um, my stepdad was moving out of wholesale and into retail. 
and I was like, okay, cool, can I just start working for you? So I just started working for him, um, yeah, doing that and running that for a while. So I was there for four years. So by this time I'm 20, oh shucks, I was probably 22 to 26, 27. Sucks. Yeah. Yep. So you're working for your stepdad yep. in retail, did that yep. for a few years. Yeah. What sort of like, I guess, role or skills were you applying at that time? That was all the business stuff that I'd grown up with. All of the hustling, all the trading, all of the... Yeah, that, that's what it was. It was the hustle and the trade. And that's why I absolutely loved it. And then being able to take the skill that I learned, the people skills, from my mission and apply that to the retail world and understanding, okay, this is people's motivations. How do I not so much manipulate their motivations, but understand their motivations enough to be able to deliver them a product that they want. Sure. Um, and being able to do that, I just found it absolutely fascinating because one of those things of like, oh, I've got this idea that say signage, um, you know, I, you'd walk around and you'd notice people kind of trying to figure out a sign of like, oh, how much is that? And then, so I worked on things and looked at different examples and... Sorry, um, just to, I guess, uh, give the listeners a bit back. What kind of retail, what sort of products or okay. services was so your dad selling? My dad, he has the... I don't know. How do you... It's the largest grocery outlet in the country. Um, all of the best before, close to expiry, uh, end of competition, end of line surplus stock. Uh, for They call it FMCG, which is fast moving consumer goods. Most people know it as grocery. All of that stuff. Right. They, you know, say something's been selling in the supermarket for 11, 12 bucks. Maybe it's got two or three weeks to go and it's still gonna be fine after that after that date. We'll be selling it for two, three bucks. Yeah. Something like that, you know? In the name of your dad's store? Why not? Why not? Why not? Yep. Why not? Shout out to why not. Yeah. I shop there on a weekly basis. <laughs> Saved my, my student backslide many times. <laughs> thanks. Thanks thanks Aiden's step dad. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so, so, so you like take took Experience of own mission and you're yep. applying it to this, these business um, yep. opportunities, um, trying to focus on the end consumer. Yep. Um, then what, what yep. next? Yeah, so that was the time where I realized, holy crap, this whole time, even when I was at med school studying, I would still work uh, and I would still be doing business. And I found I was more fascinated by business than the medicine stuff. Uh, and that was the time in that that four-year period is when I clicked that I actually love this. I love doing it. It's so much fun, um, and I can truly make it, it brings together the things of I want to help people because you know being down on the floor, I, I would hear you know I'd hear people come up to me and go, oh hey like thank you so much for doing this. I'm like, what do you mean we're just you know selling stuff? And they're like, well, no like you're selling stuff at such a way that like and it's such a price that we can afford to try things we never could before or we can afford to feed our family you know and it was it was like oh 
wait a second, like my like the, the doing this, this 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 retail this business is affecting these people's lives, and it was one of those things that I understood and realized. It was I had heard it before when speaking about the difference between doctors and engineers in being able to help people. That a doctor, unless you go into research and things like that, you can only help one person at a time. That's it. Whereas an engineer can help thousands by whatever they create. No. And then I realized that applies the same way for a businessman. If you're uh, as a businessman, if you focus your endeavor on being something that can help people, you can affect the lives of thousands, not just one or two. And scalability, that's I the scalability of it. And it's my efforts and not just my efforts direct. It's, it's they can go further. And that's where the, when I started really understanding and kind of, I guess that was the genesis of my, my push into business was there. Genesis. Genesis. Big word. The start of it all. Nice. Yeah. Nice. That's a good way of putting it. Shout out to the, the Christians out there. Or Bible readers. So, or Terminator. Either way. <laughs> it's all religious. <laughs> so, yeah. So, did that. Um, left there. Um, went off to university. Uh, in business. I was like, oh, I oh, think yeah, that's right. You did go yep. back to uni again. Yeah, went back to uni. Did a Where to this time? Uh, post-grade diploma, uh, went to Massey. Shout out to Massey. Yep. <laughs> that, was, uh, that was absolutely awesome. Loved it there. Um, yeah, did a post-grade diploma and then started my MBA at Victoria in Wellington. It's still easily one of the most internationally recognized degrees of, yep. like, of value, right? Yep. As far as I'm aware. Yeah. Even though I'll be the first to admit, I can't wait for the university system to fall in space <laughs> i think it will especially in business i the way that business is taught in universities is like a science mm. um and they they kind of teach things at least this is my experience now i've done business in two different universities and they yeah they, they're good universities so it's not as if it's a bad representation or anything this is my experience in it is that they were teaching principles that helped in the global financial collapse as sound business principles. Mm. Um, Victoria University, for example, full of, because that's where the government is, um, they were full of government employees. So, Everyone knows the stereotype of government employees. And we all know how uh, efficient and yeah. effective they are. Yeah. <laughs> and it's absolutely true. Sarcasm if you can't hear it yeah. <laughs> from here. I know. It's, uh, yeah. So it was, it was not, for me, it wasn't a good experience. For someone coming from the background that I came from to doing that, um, it was not the best experience for me. Um, I did not enjoy it. Not your cup of tea, to say no, the least. It was no. like a cold cup of spew. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it was kind of like, like I remember one exam, or oh, one test, I failed. Like, flat out failed. And for me, and that was like worth like 20 or 30% of the grade. Wow. So this was a massive, like, capstone project type thing. And I was pretty gutted. 
because you know that pretty much meant that like the rest of my A's I'd have to get an A in the final exam just to get a C for the oh, whole class. Sure. You know what I mean? So I was like, oh no, this is absolutely horrible. So I went to the lecturer and was like, hey, hey, where did I go wrong? Because obviously I thought I was great. So, you know, I've, I've completely buggered it. Where have I gone wrong? So I make sure I don't do this in the test. I'm at least going to pass the class. Yeah, so you took measures. Like, yeah. you weren't, like, arrogant about it. You're just like, yeah, look, no, no. look yeah. I respect the system. Yeah. Like, just help me out here. Yeah, I, I ball-sacked it. That's my fault. Like, <laughs> yo. Ball-sacked you know? Is that allowed, Stuart? Yeah, we'll, we'll allow it. We'll allow it. Yeah, and I was just like, sweet. I'll, uh, yeah, and that's the thing. I accepted the L, but I was like, no, I'm not going to make that same mistake again. Sure. Well, how do I learn from this? And I went to and asked for it. You know, hey, how do I make this better so I don't repeat the mistakes? And the lecturer? Went through, regraded my exam with an A+. My, yeah. What was the difference? Um, he was like, you have come from a practical business background. The way that you structured everything, no one would think about that in academia. That's actually how things work. So why did they fail in the first place? Because it was a TA that was marking. Oh, right, right. Yep, and didn't understand what I was actually doing and thought it would fail. Well, fair enough. I mean, having worked as a TA um, these past this past year, we usually given sort of model answers, and so in order to speed things up, we just we don't read through every word. We just quickly check to see if they matches the model answer. Mm. Obviously, yours didn't, and so yeah. bam, zero. Yeah, too fair. Too yeah, fair. Fair and, then, and then yeah, and he comes back. He's like, no, actually, yours was far better than the way that we would do it. Um, it's a lot more practical, and it would work. And that was obviously quite a bit of an ego boost for me. Yeah, I, I was going to say, you must, yeah. have, you must have been walking around with your head high and oh, yeah. float, floating on clouds. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it was one of those things like, okay, wow. Oh, bugger. One job, bro. <laughs> um, you know, and yeah, that, that was good. And then like I had other experiences similar to that of kind of, some of them didn't go so well and you know ones where I did examples I, I had didn't did a, an assignment on family's company and was told no that would never work on, on what family? on why not oh right got it, got it. I did I did an exam I, I did I did a, did a project on it we based the business model purely yep. on why not yep which was obviously already functioning yep doing well for itself very retardedly well Retardly uh, well. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty well. Yeah, that, that's pretty well. <coughs> um, and got told that no, this this business model wouldn't work. Was it a TA again? No, that was the actual lecturer. Oh, okay. Oh, different lecturer. Different lecturer. Okay, sure. And his experience in business was he would he had a PhD in I think it was like vampire history, and at one time he had managed a galvanizing company. Vampire history. Yeah. Man, I'm doing the wrong major. Exactly. Bro, that's a way cooler major. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, and then like somehow he was the one that's supposed to have this business experience to understand and to know and you know. So that was yeah. Yeah, so obviously given your experience and your background, um, trying to translate directly into academia wasn't wasn't too smooth. But no. nevertheless, nevertheless, you, you tried to get this MBA. Yep. Um, and how did that go? Um, in the end. 
well, life happened. Sure. So... We won't get into that, but yeah, so life yeah, happens. Yeah. Life yeah. happens. So I ended up um, moving away from Wellington, back to Auckland, uh, and not pursuing the MBA because the MBA was connected to other things. Sure. So ended up uh, coming to, back to Auckland, um, and my grandmother at the time, she's 70... Well, she was in 75, 76 at the time, mm-hmm. uh, still working full time. Jesus. Yeah. A hustler. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, moved to New Zealand when she was 16, 17, worked her entire time, uh, started this company, and she would have been 40 something and worked every day for 30 something years, you know? Um, yeah, and, this, and at this time, my mum wanted to take her so my grandmother's an immigrant um moved over here from world war ii nice um, from england um sorry not not nice because there's a war I'm oh not, yeah not yeah, nice yeah, as yeah, in yeah, like yeah. shout out to the immigrants <laughs> like myself <laughs> yeah so you know yeah so and she hadn't been home or back to england since she moved here when she was 17. really yeah so mum wanted to take her back so they did that and then that time I was I said I oh, yeah, sweet here I'll, I'll stay and help out and I'll take care of the office and whatnot and then that three month trip extended and extended extended and now it's been four years and yeah I run love the and life right love and life yeah so that's kind of how I'm here now running this it's kind of she's retired and mum's retired and I yeah I run the company and whatnot restructured everything and yeah kind of that's kind of where we are today so fair enough yeah well, thanks for that thanks for that it's no, a nice real. little um yeah well I mean, it always helps to give the audience a bit of context about where you've come from mm-hmm. and how things are but now to the juicy part my mm-hmm. friend so obviously i've been here a few years um you know having our own personal yards i get the feeling that you don't really want to stay around, but there's other things you'd like to pursue. Yeah. Um, and having been come off, you know, a rather spiritual summer break myself, nice. you know, big on putting things into the universe and yeah. let the word become flesh. Yeah. So um, I guess this is your opportunity to let your words become flesh. What well, What are your hopes and ambitions, Aiden, for your future? I guess, kind of. I've one of the. Everyone sees the glamour of owning owning your own business. Everyone sees the, if you're successful at it in the monetary sense, everyone sees that. And everyone sees it as an overnight success of kind of, oh look, blah, 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 they've done this. No one sees the fact that you've been working 60, 80 hours a week for the last 10, 15 years all of the family things you've sacrificed, all of the holidays you haven't gone on, all of the weddings you've missed, the birthdays you've missed, the recitals you've missed, the games you've missed. No one sees any of that. And one of the things I've learned from being around family who that is all they've done is I don't want that life. In the sense that, you know, like I watched my grandmother, you know, working all the time. 
just always. And I, before I came and started working here, I think I could count on one hand the holiday she went on in 30 years. Is that right? The time that she spent away from this building in 30 years. 30 years? Yeah. Jeepers. Yeah. No, okay, now, sorry, um, jump in here real quick. I guess in a, in a word of um, exacerbated judgment, um, I do have to ask, you know, I mean, was your grandma happy doing it though? That was one thing for her. I asked her about that. What did she say? Loved it. Loved it? Okay. Absolutely right. loved it. Right. For her, the, the re okay, again, so gotta give her a bit of backstory for her as well as that my grandfather owned a decently sized um, steel company. They had built bridges, they built the beehive, they'd done quite a bit of stuff like that. Um, so by the time, I think he was in his late 30s or 40s or that, they had retired. It was, it was that well enough. Sure. Yeah, they had finished it all up, done, shut shop. Because um, I think he had an axe was high, I can't remember what it was. Then what happens is they went to a funeral and my grandmother hated the way that the funeral director treated her niece. And that was it for her. She, she vowed she wanted to start a funeral home and make sure that no one was ever treated like that ever again. Wow. So for her, it was kind of her... I don't know, it was, she had found her calling, I guess, and it just happened to be that she was able to make money out of it. You know That's what I mean? Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. For her, it was kind of like, they went through a lot of ups and downs and all this sort of stuff, but for her, because she loved it that much, she genuinely loved what she was doing and loved the people that, all of those sacrifices that she had made outside of the business were all worth it to her because she loved what she was doing so much. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I guess the, the reason I wanted to jump in there is just, mm, mm. Um, you know, you're given the connotation that from what you saw about all these long hours of what a business, what is required to run a successful business, mm, mm. Um, I just don't want <clears throat> the audience or anyone to think, that it's all bad, but no. but given your experience, so so again, I'll yeah. let you finish. Um, so you saw all this, but you know your grandma for her in her instance, she was willing to pay the price and she didn't regret it. But, yes. But for you, what did you yeah. see and what did you learn from? Yeah. Her? So there's there's her right. So there's her experience with that. There was like my dad and his experience of he liked. He likes what he does. He's very, it's more, he's very good at what he does and sure. it makes him money. Sure. If money was taken out of the equation that he no longer needed the money to be able to do the lifestyle that he wants, he would give it up in a heartbeat. Right. Very big difference between him and my grandmother's situation. My grandmother, we had to pry her away and tell her to retire and tell her, look, start enjoying life. Go spend time with your grandkids, with your great grandkids, 
go travel to all these places you saw online and all saw on TV and only ever dreamed of going to, go and experience them. Go and do whatever you want. And it took us a long, long time to help her to understand that that was okay to do. And now that she's been doing it, she won't have it any other way. She loves it. Like it's absolutely incredible. Um, so it's kind of like, I see those juxtapositions of a kind of, of the pure passion and then good at it and making money, but would give it up in a heartbeat. Right. But still the same moxie, the same kind of time, the same sacrifices are made in both of them. Right. But you see the quality of life in the sense of who's happier. Yeah, well, I mean, I was, uh, I was reminded of the quote, you know, you make a living by what you get, but mm. you make a life by what you give, right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, again, that was a little too profound for this stage, but... No, but no, 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 absolutely. Nevertheless, nevertheless. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so, okay, so you saw these, you saw the contrast yeah. between your yep. grandma and your yep. stepdad. Yep. No, um, dad. Oh, dad. Oh, sorry. My, stepdad, he's the same as my grandmother. He's the same as... Okay. All like, right. ridiculously loves what he was doing, and that's why he could work 80, 90 hours a week no issues, do that for 10, 15 years. Absolutely sweet. Sweet. He just, just started retiring, and he, by retiring, he's just bought a farm and works on that. Cute. So, what a yeah. retirement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, so, got, another, got, a, <laughs> got another job. <laughs> yeah, got another job to retire at. Yeah. But hey, who am, yeah. I, who am I to judge what people do in their spare time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, well, so, okay. So, so you grew up with this business, yep. um, you grew up with a, this background, you've yep. seen it all, it's yep. normal to you. Yep. All these different contrasts, yep. um, having done double academia, yep. you know. So what does it, how does that um, assimilate, or not assimilate, how does this boil down and how does this concoct in your mind for you personally and what you hope to achieve? Now, so I then see, okay, cool. I'm happy to hustle, happy to put in the amount of work. I understand that these things take a lot of time. I know that I need to find something that, like dad never called it, like, okay, so, okay, when I'm saying dad, it's my stepdad. Okay, um, yeah. Because I grew up with him like since I was three. Sure, like, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he never called it work, he always called it his hobby. And, that's what I, for me, it was like, okay, hell, I want something like that. I want something where I can genuinely say, like, I'm excited to wake up tomorrow to go and do that. And it was, it was kind of going through the experiences and figuring out, okay, what are the things that I love doing where I'm super passionate about that I will be excited to put in the ridiculous amounts of work that it takes to be able to make it successful. Um, so that's kind of where I am now. Okay. And what have you... Okay, so if that's where you're at right now, yeah. um, it's great. And I think, um, as the GOAT would say, you know, we're still early, we're still young as yeah. if. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we're still early in the process. So what have you figured out so far? Because it um, sounds like you've done a bit of dabbling and... Yep. I've experimenting. Dabbled and experimented in quite a bit of stuff. Um, I'm kind of figuring out that yes, I want to help. Um, I love retail and I am kind of seeing that how much lowering the cost of people's lives 
can expand their life for themselves. Uh, I'm not a big fan of handouts, so I don't enjoy charity and things like that. Um, I believe that if you provide people with the right opportunities, um, they will be able to lift themselves out of the situation that they're in. So that's kind of where I am at the moment of figuring out a business model that can take those base principles and better other people's lives. Right. So you're more, you're a fan of the, I guess the, the idiom, you know, teaching a man to fish rather than just giving a fish, yep, right? Absolutely. So they can feed themselves for a yeah. lifetime. Yeah. And, and it, it's kind of, so, you know, along that of teaching the man to fish, the man also needs a fishing rod. You know, he, need, he needs all that sort of stuff. And if that fishing rod is too inaccessible for him, he, he won't be able to go and fish or won't really want to fish. But if you give him the fishing rod, then there's no, I guess, sense of accomplishment in obtaining the fishing rod. Right. So as you, as you spoke about this, um, I could see there was like a practical or an experience that um, you're thinking about. So I guess to give it a bit of real world relevance, um, what would be the fishing rod or the fish um, that you're, just based on your experience. Okay, so let's say, Someone wants to. Uh, oh, I think of think of something. Name name name. Uh, okay, a lot of people. So this is in New Zealand, for example, right? Yep. New Zealand has a massive issue with cost of living, especially the the, the city that we live in, Auckland. It is. <laughs> No shout out to Auckland. Yeah. No, <laughs> no shout out to Auckland, Auckland whatsoever. Um, Way better cities out there. Yeah. On average, from average income to average house price, it is one of the worst in the world. 1 to 20? You were like 20 or 22 to X. Yeah. So, you know, people don't... Yeah, 22 times the average income is the average house price. That's just scary. But... I've looked at housing and things like that. Housing itself doesn't need to be as expensive as it is. So what I'm talking about is, so the fishing rod would be being able to lower the cost of housing for people. So then now, okay, cool. Now you have a lower cost house. You can now, because you've lowered your cost of living, you've maintained, your lifestyle or like the quality of life when you have what's it Maslow's law you know the Maslow's pyramid of needs and things like that when you oh, have these yeah, base yeah. yeah when you have those base needs taken care of you can start uh, kind of looking at and trying to achieve the bigger things of life I think is it is it the Netherlands or somewhere that at the moment is looking like a four-day work week uh, six hour four days um, it's either it's either one of those European countries yeah. or um, one of those. I don't know. It could be Silicon Valley, yeah, like yeah. yeah. But I mean, they're, they're sort of fluid with it. And yeah. To be to be honest, I'm a huge fan of that. I'd rather yeah. work four days, ten hours a day. Yep. And have a three day weekend. Yep. Than five days, eight hours. Yeah. And then what they're saying is that within that time period, get everything, all your base needs taken care of. 
because then you can spend more time uh, focusing on like the cultures, the arts, your family, the things that actually affect society in a positive way. And yeah, you're right. It is, it is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. There we go. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. See, that's where the education comes in. That was one of the things I learned from uni. One of the few things I remember. Nice. So you're saying, based on... Okay, so this is the, the pyramid. Yep. There's five layers. The bottom layer is physiological needs. Yep. Yeah, water, food, shelter, yep. sleeping, clothing, re- reproduction. Yeah, well, because it, it's an exact concept of if you don't have water, if you don't have food, you don't have those things, you can't really focus on anything else yeah that's fair yeah and then the next layer up is safety needs personal security employment resources health property um third layer love and belonging friendship intimacy family connection yep um then this last two is esteem and then final one is self-actualization so what you're correct me if i'm wrong what you're trying to say is this by lowering or making these physical physiological needs um, affordable to the masses then you're able to move on to the next step yes of this massive experiment i I believe that people are inherently good and that people will inherently try to better themselves and if those base needs are taken care of and they are able to take care of them they will try to obtain more of those higher needs right Sounds sound a little like Andrew Yang. I was like, UBI, mate. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I'm, I'm, I am not okay with... I'm not really okay with that. Yeah. Because it's a handout? Yes. Right. Yeah. Because it's a handout. But it's the same basic principle of take care of those basic needs and then be able to obtain the, the, the I guess, higher parts of that, that triangle thing. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, and this is, I guess, where politics, social sciences, like, collide, where... You know, when those needs are being met, hence the cause and effect is increased crime. Yes. Um, and then lack of safety. And so you have this poverty cycle yeah. um, where it's so hard to escape. And I suppose this is why places like America, where the inequality gap is so huge, yeah. why they're constantly crying out um, for, you know, a restructuring of these social um, systems. Exactly. But, um, Anyway, sorry, we digress. So, yeah. so not Andrew Yang, but okay. So you're saying lowering housing, for example, lowering yep. housing costs yep. is the fishing rod. Yep. Then you're able to move on to the next. Yeah. So say now, for you, you've now got a safe living space, and it's completely affordable for you, and you have spare income. You're not working just so that you can pay the mortgage, and you have nothing left over afterwards. You now have a disposable income. You. Think about like the life that that person can now create for themselves that those base needs are taken care of. Well, certainly a lot less stressful for sure. I Absolutely. Mean, I mean, even just hearing the script, I'm like, oh man, like, yeah, if I was that person, like, I don't have to think about my next meal. I don't have to like, I'm not stressed. I'll be healthier. So how much more do you do for the world because you are in that place? Well, I mean, just again, even just listening to it, I feel like I'm already in a better mindset and mm. Um, when you're in a good mood, when you're not, when you're not hungry, when you're not cold, mm. um, you, you're generally more likely to be more giving. Yeah. And you, it doesn't become this desperation, like zero sum game of doggy dog world. Yeah. Like, it's the one. Yeah. Okay. So, and that's kind of where I am at the moment. And you know, I've looked at it was it was actually university that 
it was it was hearing those things that I was saying like at Why Not where people were saying oh wow because you've done this I can now do this in my life because you've made this affordable I can now uh, you know XYZ and then going to university and studying companies like Tom's Shoes um, or Tom's Shoes he created he saw in Argentina the shout out to Argentina yeah <laughs> <laughs> that children were sharing a, a pair of shoes in a family so because of that if you didn't have your school shoes you weren't allowed to be at school so because you didn't have your school shoes you weren't allowed to be at school there was one pair for the family children would alternate which days they would go to school therefore they would not get the education that they needed to then in later life uplift themselves out of where they are right so Blake McCoskey he sees this he sees a lady in a cafe that is doing a shoe drive where she's asking for people to donate shoes so she can donate them to the kids so that hey look at least they can get to school and be able to get this education Blake saw the inherent issue of relying on the donations mm. because what sizes right you know you know how do we get the correct sizes that we need how can we make sure that we get enough pairs at the end of the day even if you kind of get all these shoes it's kind of at one point that supply is going to dry up because you're relying on other people yeah so the the supply of the production oh sorry yeah the production is inconsistent and not as controllable as yes, you would like exactly exactly right. so he thought how can i change that how can i get all the sizes that i want that we need for the right kids because who cares if you give a kid a pair of shoes if he's a six and you've only got an eight it doesn't help his situation quite that much um how can i control that and have a consistent supply right so he creates a shoe company on the basis that for every single pair you buy he will give a pair to these kids and that's tom's shoes the go-giver eh yeah wait so tom's shoes is the yep. company or the, yep. his name no that's the the, the company Shout out to Tom's Shoes, man. Shout out to Tom's Shoes. So then that always got, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I really, really like this. And then there was another one, uh, uh, I have to try and find his name, but uh, the the book was Rebel With A Cause. Um, I'll try and Google this now. Rebel with, oh, good old airplane mode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, but anyway, so his, uh, I can't even remember his name now. But what he did is he was in the pharmaceutical industry and essentially took uh, expiring patents and made generic medicines and things like that available for the third world. Uh, also took wow. cataracts uh, technology that was, again, the patents were expiring, I think it was, uh, then took that created simplified the process and things like that created a lab in Eritrea and took the material the base I think maybe it was the lens or something that was needed for the cataract surgery which was normally about $750 and brought it down to something like $4 yeah sorry so just to clarify <laughs> from what to $4 from 750 US per piece down to four dollars man 
So think about cataract surgery in the third world, difficult. Cool, you've got some charities that are giving it. But now you're ridiculously limited to how many of these surgeries you can give because the main piece of it is 750 bucks each. So even if you rely on these donations, hey, look, you've only got so much you can give. It's the typical engineering problem, the limiting, yeah, the main constraint is always um, funds, yeah. money. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a massive discount. Yeah. And, um, and you said he did it by how? Like It was by the, the, the lab that makes them, he moved, he created one in Eritrea, which is like Africa. Oh, like, was it a place? Yeah, Eritrea, yeah. It's oh, just south of them. It's like the part of Africa that's just by the Middle East, I think. I could be completely way off. Someone might need to All Google right. that and check it. <laughs> Fact check this. Don't worry about our geography. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay. that's kind of a place in the world where lens labs should not be. Yeah. He made it there, trained everyone's local, all that sort of stuff. So he provided jobs as well. Provided jobs and created this and then, yeah. Mate, this is almost bringing a tear to my eye. Yeah. Okay. And then, oh man, sidetrack. I saw him one day in Ponsonby. Oh, he's a Kiwi? Yeah. Oh no, so he's an English guy that moved to New Zealand. Sure. Yeah, but then like fully dropped my sacks to go and say hi. Two stars. I like day. I literally like I had my like my, my my project that was on him, like in my car. I was holding what? it. What? Yeah, like Dude, and I was standing there and across you... the road from him and I could see him and he was on the phone. And I like I I do not have regrets in my life, but that may be one of them. Of yeah. just like standing there and watching him across the street. I'm sorry, but I just mean, like given yeah. the description, the universe willed it. Yeah. And you I just like yeah, I ballsack that one too. Ballsack. Huh. Yeah. It's alright. Or well, I guess I guess you're only human. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. that's amazing though. Yes. Yeah. Wow, okay, shout out yeah. to him. Sorry, what's his name? <sighs> Turn off airplane mode and we'll find it. But yeah, and you know, he's done, it's not only that that he's done. Um, he's the one that did the egg pods for um, infant mortality for like, uh, what's it called? Um, incubators? Because they found that a, a, a big reason for infant mortality rates in third world countries was the facilities and cool, you get donated uh, incubator the issue with them, they're so complex that, hey, look, I've just given you a, I don't know, I'm throwing out a number, a $20,000 incubator. Sure. Cool. I've, I've now distributed 20000 across Africa. Um, who's going to maintain them? Right. And that was the issue. So he created one that was cheaper and didn't need the maintenance that these other ones needed. So now they've got a like five or 10 times, I'm throwing out numbers out of my bum here, but you know. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it is lasting far longer than these other ones. And so that they're designed for the conditions of being in the third world where you don't have all of the infrastructure to be able to have the maintenance and all this other sort of stuff. You know, so. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah, he's, he's done some some pretty amazing stuff um yeah and that was kind of those two kind of projects that i did there we go sir ray avery 
Shout out to Sir Saray Avery. Yes. Thank you for your service. So yeah, it was those two there that kind of got me and going, wait a second, I can create business and do business that I love doing, but structure it in a way that it just is designed to help people and be a change in their lives so that they can then focus and better themselves from that point on. Nice. Has there um, been any particular, um, I guess, causes or groups or region somewhere that <coughs> that has caught your eye potentially? Um, um, so, I guess what the, the the one that I am looking at at the moment um, is. So, I've, I've looked around for a lot of stuff and kind of being over here and kind of figure out. And then obviously you have, whenever you're looking at starting a business or anything, you're kind of looking at your minimum viable product and your barriers of entry. Sure. Kind of, you need to be able to, as a startup, start something as simply as possible. Uh, and something with low barriers of entry makes it a holiday obviously to get in and start it so I've been thinking about things like that okay what is the easiest way for me to be able to start helping people something that does not currently exist uh, and know that once I do get it it can scale and it's ubiquitous in the sense that it is not just for this particular culture or this particular subset of people or this particular country but it can go global yeah but i mean you need to start somewhere exactly right? like testing ground right? yeah exactly so i guess what i'm asking is has there been yeah. anything particular cause or yeah. problem you'd like to solve that's really caught your attention yeah. so that that's kind of what i was getting to is kind oh, of sorry, my bad. yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is is you know you, yes okay cool say cancer i don't have a way of getting into that uh all these other sort of, I, I couldn't figure out a way to get into that. And then also it's going back to the being something that makes you happy and makes you kind of, you know, cause you're going to dedicate, well, I'm going to dedicate years of my life to this. And then I started looking at, okay, what are the things that I need help with? What are the things that <coughs> I struggle with and that aren't kind of, I don't have a way for them to be met right now. And then so that's where I was kind of looking at like my weight. Um, so like I've struggled with weight my entire life. And that has been one of the things of that I've been looking at lately of obesity and especially, you know, working in the funeral industry, seeing the causes of it. First hand, you know, right at the end of the causes, you know. We it's pretty, of, pretty fatal, eh? Yeah, yeah, it, it does. By the time people get here, it's not really much they can do. Sorry, you know? excuse the pun. <laughs> i throw my dad joke out there. So, yeah. And so, it, so, you're scratching on an itch, essentially. Yeah, right. yeah. And then and, and that, that's kind of where I got to. Of like, okay, cool. That is the thing that I... And I've, I've figured out what I think will work. And I'm just kind of at that very, very beginning stage of saying, okay, I'm, these are, this is the, the plan of action that I need to do uh, to be able to see if this concept that I have 
if I think it will work. I think it will work, but I'm gonna test it on myself, see if it works, and then start from there and be able to build up because that's, I see there's no barriers at that point. Mm. Uh, well, I'm the only barrier really. Uh, and then be able to take that model and expand it for other people to be able to, that are in my situation, it's not, and I guess because we're on audio only, so give you an idea, like I started at 210 kilos, six foot three. Like 210 kilos isn't a human weight. You know, that's that, that's getting into farm animal weights here. You know, you, you know you're not <laughs> well, humans. Well, that way, yeah, yeah. it's a bit of a... <laughs> yeah, yeah, humans are not designed to be that size. Right. You know, um, and I've spoken to other friends that are in that kind of 180, 200, because it's a completely different ball game when you're talking about people that are morbidly obese versus people that have maybe 10 kilos to lose or 15 kilos to lose. It's a completely different game. Yeah. Um, because, and that's kind of what I'm getting into and figuring out and then wanting to figure out, okay, hey, what is, you know, going back to the, the teaching a man to fish, it's like, well, what is even the fishing gear? Are we using a rod? Are we using a trawler? Are we using, you know, are we going spear fishing? You know, what is it working? Because obviously there's so much gear out there now, but the fact that we have so many morbidly obese people and it is only increasing and it's everywhere, it's, it's not a culturally, uh, I, was, I don't know if culturally agnostic is quite the right word. Um, it is not isolated to a particular culture or a particular country. Everywhere is getting fat. And everywhere is dying because of it. And like getting back to that kind of, you know, like the Maslow's, when you're morbidly obese, there are so many things in life that you are sacrificing. So many things that you cannot do because of your weight. So there is so much Good that you cannot put into the world because of it right so it's like okay what is the what is the impact on humanity as a whole because these people cannot put what they are meant to be able to put out into the world you know and that's kind of where I am of figuring out okay what are the things that can be done what are the barriers that I can remove from their life so that they can help themselves. So that they feel as though they're in a position to be able to do better, to become who they want to become and help themselves. And like I've got some ideas on it. I've started designing it all. And the, I kind of have, I guess, an end picture. Well, not an end picture, but a picture of where I'd like to get to. But that's gonna cost very, very large sums of money. So it's bringing it back and going, okay, yes, that's where I want to get to. Step back from that, how do I get there? Step back from that, how do I get there? Step back from that, all the way back to where I am now. Of, okay, what do I do right now to get on the very first rung of that ladder? At least right. now I have an idea of where that ladder is. 
And that's kind of where I am at the moment, is right at the bottom of the ladder going, okay, cool. At least now I know what the ladder is and where I want to go. Well, I mean, you know, I, sorry, I just, I just want to correct you on the way you said, oh, that's one man. I mean, you made it sound like this, you have an achievement, but I guess as Stephen Cover would say, at least you're putting your ladder against the right wall. You don't want to climb up to the top and realize your ladder's against the wrong wall. Yeah. And so, no, that's fantastic. Like, it's, it's getting me excited. Like, um, and I suppose for you, it's well, you're personally invested. Yeah. I suppose that's why, oft times, um, you know, entrepreneurs scratch their own itch because you know they see a problem yeah. they want to solve it. And so, yeah. yeah, no, that's that's super exciting. I mean. I mean, um, just to give the audience a bit of context, like, you know, I've watched you, like, um, these last few years um, to, you know, work out your weight and, um, you know, you've made some progress, but it's definitely, yeah. it's definitely been a struggle, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm down, like, 40 kilos, but for most people, that's like, holy crap. Yeah. That's half a person. For me, that's like, about 25% of what I need to lose, you know, I still got 70 kilos or so to lose. So, it's, it's, it's. That's what a lot of people don't understand the context of kind of morbid obesity is like, oh yeah, cool, I've lost 40. But that's just the start of what needs to be done, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, look, man, hold your head up high. I mean, 40 is better than zero, so. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. But yeah, I guess it's trying to stay vigilant. Yeah, must yeah. Be, must be tough. I mean, yeah. again, I have probably putting it on weight, so it's uh, <laughs> it's just different challenges, I guess. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, geez, that's exciting. I mean, I'm I'm keen to see what you what you come up with, and um, like I said at the start of the podcast, uh, you know, huge fan of putting things out into the universe so that the word can become flesh. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you feel like it's? I don't know. For me, I'm I'm real happy like that. Like, I no, feel like absolutely. It's, it's really helped me, and it's been rather therapeutic to be honest to listen to your goals and ambitions. It it's it's. Kind of like having a sounding board and also kind of you have this ability by putting it out there you get other people's opinions on things and you especially as an entrepreneur you sometimes get so fixated i'll give you an, an example okay um so here in the funeral home we with every family we give away these flowers Okay, um, the flowers, they're like a Chinese made silk, kind of plasticky flower thing. Um, in my personal opinion, they are ugly as <laughs> all buggery. Yeah, the yeah. most disgusting, tacky thing that you could ever imagine. Sure. Okay. Uh, they cost us quite a bit, but it's one of those things that you know how we do with every funeral so i decide that hey i want to get a nicer looking flower <coughs> i search for a while takes me you know a few months i end up finding a really good supplier they're really good price and these flowers are absolutely beautiful they are to the point they are still silks but they look real and they are just absolutely immaculate so I buy in a bunch of those and now you got to remember we're giving these things away for free we had people not want them really? just go oh nah 
where are the other ones? And we had people complain and be like... So they wanted the old crappy ones? Yes. Wow. That I thought were the most ugliest, heinous things on the face of this planet. Sure. And we had, and this is not one or two. This is like consistent families continuously complaining about it. So what happened? I took the L and went back and bought the old ugly flowers again. <laughs> So the market has spoken out. Exactly. And that's where I talk about, that's what I mean about the being able to put it out there with people and put it out because you can get so attached to what you think is right. And when you have a track record of success, you kind of think that, you know, I know what I'm doing. Then the market tells you, well, actually, dude, you don't have a clue. Fun times. You know, and yeah, so that was kind of a humbling experience for me. Um, my grandmother cracked up laughing at me for that one and she goes yeah i know and she said the same thing and she said like she's had experience because you know been here so long she's had experiences where you know people have come back 15 20 years later um and said oh i can remember when you gave us those flowers wow and that was kind of one of those things where it made me understand okay this there is a lot more attached to that than just this what I see on the surface of this kind of ugly tacky flower. So it was kind of like, ah, oh, okay. And I see kind of their emotional sentimental attachment. You know, we've, because we've been in this so long, we've done multiple generations of families. We have not advertised at all. I'm starting advertising soon for the first time in 30 something years. Um, all of the work that we do is purely families that have been to us before and been referred to us from other families that have experienced our work before. Got fully self-sustaining, eh? Yeah. So, and I, I guess kind of, yeah, that's where I was saying about, you know, the whole kind of don't get too attached. And that's where by putting things out there, you do get to see and see how other people see things um, and be able to, I guess, pivot somewhere and kind of, okay, cool. And B, you've got to kind of be humble enough to be able to, okay, yeah, so I'll take the L on that one. Or, you know, whatnot. Um, yeah, but also, like how you're saying, by putting things out there and... When they are nothing, and for them to become something, in the sense of... Like now, we're saying about what are the things that I want to accomplish for the future. I definitely think that... By putting them out there... It, it does drive you to have you've got to do it now you've got to start putting something to it and start kind of it will, was just a thought it is now physical it has become sound now you have to build it upon that sound and become something more build so that sense of accountability has yep, come about that sense of accountability so you've, you've got to build it into its first physical form you know, as we know with churches, is that, you know, all things were first created spiritually. So our thoughts are that same way. And then once our, once our thought has been created, we now need to create it. And we now need to bring it into this world. And I was watching... Oh, I think it was... Is that... Do you have to be... Uh, Casey Neistat, his friend Max, the one that did the catfish 
whatever, um, someone can look it up on YouTube. There's a little documentary that he did, Do You Have to Be a Dick to Be a Leader? Or something like along those lines. In that, they talk about the requirement of narcissism that any entrepreneur or leader or any great leader, anyone that is successful, the amount of narcissism that they need to be able to take something that is just a thought and bring it into fruition. To be able to say the world right now is not as, as I see it and I'm going to make it the way that I see it. You know, think about like Steve Jobs. You know, the narcissism that it took within him to create that phone. Right. To bring that from absolutely nothing. It started somewhere. Yeah. But then it came out and became what it became. Yeah. Unfortunately, he was a... Yeah, not the nicest person. Yeah. So we're going <laughs> to... Yeah. In, in the spirit of in the spirit of the goat, we're yeah. going to hopefully... <laughs> Gaza V will become the new poster child of Yeah, well, even, even, even for him, right? For Gary V. The narcissism it takes, and I'm not saying narcissism in a negative... Are you talking about more self-esteem and self-belief? Yeah, it could be self-esteem and self-belief. I, th- I think I'm using the word narcissism because that's what they used in the... Um, in the documentary. I'm, I'm just trying to be careful because narcissism generally, generally implies a negative, negative connotation. Yeah, yeah, but this is this is not, I'm, I, I'm not using it in a negative way. Okay. It's kind of the belief that you are right above all else. Right. And that is, yeah. And that kind of, one of the times that they really showed me that being in the US, uh, Grand Central Station in New York City, you sit there, this place is massive. And I was sitting there just going like, what type of egotistical human was there to think? There is this image in my mind of this massive building that has all this just absolute beauty in it. I'm going to make this patch of grass have it. <laughs> I'm going to move the world around me so that this thing that is in my head right now is going to be right in front of me. And will it into existence. And will it into existence. The Burj Khalifa. I went to Dubai. The viewing deck. That was such a like ego move from them, man. Exactly. <laughs> what sort of like where does that come from within a human to be like you know what i'm gonna make something like 160 stories high something bigger than has ever been built before yeah isn't it like because i guess i'm a little salty because type a one and one was previously to yeah. that point the tallest building in the world and the was it burj khalifa burj khalifa yeah out outdone by what oh d- d- double it or something, something like that yeah, something, yeah, yeah. Or something like it was astronomical yeah like, yeah yeah to give you shout an out idea to, shout out to taiwan the the viewing deck, the lower viewing deck that we went to was on the 125th and 126th floor. Unbelievable. Incredible. 
that so here in Auckland we have the Sky Tower, which is I think that was at one point the tallest in the Southern Hemisphere. It's not really anymore because it's Taipei. Yeah. Oh uh, no, I think Taipei is still because of Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Oh, they they Northern Hemisphere. I, yeah. I believe so. Where we go? Yeah, we got something like that. This viewing deck is something like twice the height of the Sky Tower. Crazy. The viewing deck is like two thirds of the way up the Burj Khalifa. So, yeah, it puts it into context, like, how massive this thing is. But it started in someone's head. Sure. And then they were like, bro, we should do this. Vision, right? Vision started there, and then they started saying it, they put it out there, and then they started moving the world around them, so that it then became, and now it's there, and it became flesh. Um, jeepers. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty big buildings. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, speaking of flesh, and since we're in a funeral home, <coughs> um, <coughs> and I'm dying stuff, um, just sort of on a closing note, um, I kind of want to, because I'm hungry and I'm a little <laughs> tired at the moment. Um, and we've already done over an hour, so. Oh, wow. Fun times, eh? Um, man. Uh, I guess a thought came to mind, a closing thought would be, you know, what's something... Because we've touched on, like, a, I guess a lot of temporal stuff, and but there were dabbles of, there were doses of um, spiritual and sort of philosophical notes mm-hmm. um, in what you've said. Is there, on your eulogy, or yep. perhaps, <coughs> you know, gravestone, yep. whatever, you know, as... As Brother Covey would say, begin with the end in mind. What would you what are things something you'd like to be remembered for? What things people want you want people to say about you at your funeral, about your life's work? I mean obviously you have some big goals ahead of you. Yep. Um, still a lot to do, but yep. for now, <coughs> as of right now, what's some things that you would like your family, um, your potential future children, um, potential future wife? who your family or friends and what would you like them to say about you um, when you pass on I guess I, I I don't particularly care if it's associated with me at all I don't I don't particularly care if I get the credit for it <coughs> but if it would be reframed to what do I want to leave this world? Yeah, what's, what a, do what's I, a legacy? What would you yeah, what what do legacy I, be? I, is he, yeah, what do I what do I what do I want to have left in the world when I leave it? I want the efforts that I have put in now to be such that others can better their lives. That whatever I have done, I can leave, that it will stay beyond me and others' lives will be better because of it. That's all I want. So, but I don't care if I get the credit for it. I, it doesn't bother me at all. Um, you know, like you're saying, being here in a funeral home and you know, the kids don't and all that sort of stuff. It, it's, 
kind of mortality has been one of those things that I've thought about quite a bit and seeing what people spend and what people do with funerals and going to cemeteries and then you know you see the newer sections and you see these headstones that are maybe five ten some of them fifteen twenty five thousand dollars some of them out where's the thirty eight thousand dollars for these mausoleums yet you go into the older sections yeah the stone is still there but no one's been to it no one's kind of cleaned it everything's mossed over you see the finality of time you say you've got not finality of time you see the finality of our mortality in that once those that knew us directly are gone if that's all we've left then we've gone and kind of it doesn't really matter like you can't tell in that cemetery what those people have accomplished you know you could have a, a millionaire next to a pauper that you can't tell the difference in their grave it's still the same still six feet under exactly so to me it's kind of i don't care about my memorialization i don't that doesn't matter to me whatsoever. What matters to me is are the lives of those that are left behind, are they made better because of what I did? And is it in a way that it will continue on? Not just something that when I go it's gone. So yeah. Well, I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Thanks Aiden. Not a problem, thank you. Didn't mean to, yeah, didn't mean to make this so touchy feely but uh no, no absolutely that's fantastic hope this has been uh as fun for you as, as it has been for me and it's been rather therapeutic actually yeah no it is it really is it really does no, good good stuff well may the word become flesh that's the one thanks for coming on the subtractor ad podcast we appreciate your time all right thank you all right guys catch you later